Today's reading is John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. It can be found on page 992 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The word of the Lord. Up to this point, Jesus has become really popular. Like everybody knows and has heard of him. He's become well known so much, so much so that he can't even travel openly and in public. Uh, it wasn't an option. He was so well known that there are even multiple disputes of who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Is he like um, a prophet? Is he the king we've been waiting for? The people of God have been waiting for? Is he the Messiah? The one who would set Israel free from foreign oppression? Could this be the one we've been waiting for? That will triumph over all of Israel's enemies? The question of his identity, I think, alone sparks people's interest to like come and see Jesus all throughout the book of John. And I think also through John's account, people have just come to see Jesus. They've asked for signs. They've asked for healing. They've come in here to teach and preach. I can hear you just fine, but I don't know. <laughs> and pretty sure it's not. I forgot. Check with Nick. Now it's on. Yes? Yes. 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 Oh, see? <laughs> Change the volume. Um, so, uh, right throughout Jesus, uh, John's account of Jesus, people come to see him. They're asking for all these kinds of things. Um, and most of the time, Jesus responds. Probably expecting that he'll sit with them, he'll have like, conversation with them, and, or he'll do something that they've heard about him like all throughout the passage. But this is the response they get. Jesus says, the hour has come that the Son of, that the Son of Man be glorified. 
Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, um, my servant also will be. My father will, my father will honor the ones who serve me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So does anyone else feel me on this? Like, <laughs> you put yourself in the shoes of these Greeks, and you're like, I'm going to come see Jesus. And you're like, oh, he's going to do something cool. There's going to be something great. And then there's this whole dialogue, this whole discourse that he says that seems to be confusing, like, well, we came to see you, now you're talking about some hour, and then you're talking about seeds, and seeds dying, and many seeds, and then you're, you, you're talking about what does it mean to like follow you, and to serve, and to hate our lives, and then, and then you're troubled? <laughs> it just is like really confusing to me. Um, and I think the first section today really hits on like what the people expect of Jesus when they come, what these Greeks, and even what his disciples who are with him hear. Jesus, um, but Jesus has something to say about that. He's like, I know what you want. He doesn't say this, but he's like, he knows what they want. But he recognizes the significance of the Greeks coming to him and what that signals for his own um, life, his own identity, who he is, and his own purpose. He knows that the Greeks coming to him means there's something about to change in what he is about to do. <clears throat> um, so in Isaiah, uh, uh, Isaiah 56, there's prophecy that is foretold that foreigners um, who bind themselves to the Lord or who choose the Lord um, are a signal to Jesus or signal to the, the, the one they've been waiting for, that this sort of unifying of the, the Greeks and the Jews coming to worship together signals it's time to walk toward the cross. Um, it also reminds those who are hearing Jesus say these things, prophecy in Isaiah 56. Um, so for Jesus, these nations, these Greeks, these non-Jewish people who are coming to worship, coming to see Jesus at the time of worship at this festival means it's his hour to be glorified. It's his hour um, to go to death on the cross. And he gives this metaphor of this kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. It, it must die for there to be many seeds produced. His death brings life. It will produce many seeds, and God will glorify it. He emphasizes this when he says, I, when I am lifted up, indicating his death on the cross, will draw all people to myself. So there's this thing that's happening in Jesus as these Greeks have come, as his hour to go to die on the cross comes, that uh, this is the king who he's intended to be. 
So there's all this expectation around Jesus. If he's this Messiah guy that they've been waiting for, this king that they've been waiting for to overthrow the foreign oppression and to like put Israel back in a place of flourishing, they don't expect that he's going to talk about dying. They don't expect their king, who's going to overcome all their enemies, to die. And, and I think there's something about this that the Greeks, unless the Jews and his disciples, unless the Greeks see this of Jesus, they don't really see Jesus. They came and saw Jesus, but not what they expected. All their assumptions of the power and the victory of this king who is supposed to restore Israel is going to die. And this is like confusing and hard. And it's not like exciting for us to hear. Um, it's not exciting for them to hear. If you imagine being in that place and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting to be delivered from oppression. And you said, oh, I'm going to die. And actually it's going to be by um, a significant form of oppression of the Romans who are, we're under right now. But until the truth that Jesus has to say about himself becomes truth for his disciples and truth for these Greeks, they will not actually see him. <coughs> until the truth that Jesus has to say about himself, that he reveal, reveals about himself, um, becomes truth for the disciples and the Greeks, they will not actually see them. And I think the same goes for us. Until the truth that Jesus has to say about himself becomes truth for us, we will not actually see him. We have our own expectations when we come to Jesus. Uh, the Greeks who came to him, um, uh, no, that's wrong. We have our own expectations of Jesus, who he is and what that means for us in following him. So I would say like in my junior high school like realm of life, my impression of Jesus was this sort of like puppet master that wanted to do all these things and, and meant you can never have fun. Um, that, I mean, that was my impression. I think some of that came from my experience in the church that I grew up in, that my parents were a part of, and the rules that were inspired by scripture that said this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to um, live out your faith. And so I think like... Nobody wants that kind of Jesus. <laughs> I didn't want that kind of Jesus. I don't know about you. Um, and then I had a season in my later years in high school when some things got hard in my life. And this idea of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you choose Jesus, everything in your life is going to be great. Everything's going to go well for you. You're going to be happy. Um, you're going to have success. Uh, you know, it's all going to be great because in Scripture it says everything works out for the good of those who love the Lord, Right? And I think as I've been around the Christian sort of world and culture, this is a sentiment I still hear often. And I find myself even kind of going back to my high school self, really believing that, well, I follow Jesus, so everything should be good. Everything should be going, like, easy and smooth. And, you know, like, I've even been a part of communities, Christian communities, where if, if your response to the question of, hey, how are you, isn't great, awesome, or good, there's something off, you know, like, maybe you don't really trust Jesus in your life, you know? And I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm just okay. And sometimes I'm pretty crappy. 
Uh, and that's the reality of life. And that's okay. Um, but I think in my early years, I expected that following Jesus meant happiness and joy all the time. And that it would be easy. Um, and we all have some expectation of Jesus. Who he is and what that means for us or for those who identify as his followers. And a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times they don't actually fall in line with what Jesus has revealed of himself. Jesus um, has this, he knows his purpose. He knows who he is. He knows what he came to do. And it didn't fall in line with what the disciples and the people of God were waiting for. So just think for a second, what expectations are you holding on to about Jesus that have not been revealed by him? What are expectations that you are holding on to of Jesus that are not what has been revealed by him? And then Jesus, you know, as we're kind of dealing with this like expectation of what it means, he, he goes on to say anyone who loses their life um, or who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life will um, keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. And my father, father will honor those who serve him. So he makes it clear to the disciples and to the Greeks uh, that choosing to identify themselves with Jesus means following Jesus' life pattern. It meant choosing to hate one's life, to die to their own desires, to become a servant like Jesus became. And actually, that that would produce life. That would produce many seeds. And Jesus dying for, for them, for the Greeks, for the disciples, and his like, movement to the cross for these many seeds is designed for the disciples' lives as well. And this has implications for our own lives, our, that our lives ought to be patterned after Jesus. And I think we often think about hating one's life as dying to our own desires, um, and that it's really an extreme thing. And that extreme theme is really only for like these missionaries or people that go to like places where the gospel hasn't been preached and all this stuff. So we, we think this dying to self only, only applies to like crazy ministry leaders, like, you know, those kinds of things. But it's actually for all followers. This call to die to one's desires is for all of us. And Jesus' whole ministry was about denying his own desires, his comfort and reputation for the benefit of others. He not only preached, but he spent time with the outcasts and the marginalized in society. He crossed cultural barriers. He didn't care about fame and being seen as important. He was about justice. He was about access for all people. He spoke truth to power. And a lot of what he did went against the grain of the religious leaders and the cultural norms of that day. The heart of Jesus' ministry is about justice, about love, about compassion, about truth. And the religious leaders of his day had put up so many barriers to people coming and having access to God. 
And Jesus is about breaking down those barriers. And it wasn't always comfortable. And it wasn't always pretty. And it wasn't always in the places that the religious leaders expected him to go and the people he, they expected him to go to. We are to seek to pattern our lives after Jesus, to die to our passions and desires, to die to our comfort so that there could be many seeds, so that there could be more life produced in serving Jesus. It's not an easy reality either. It means loving our neighbors. It means loving the people around us. It means loving the marginalized and the oppressed in our world, in our city. It means to serve people in the places we don't want to go, in the places that aren't comfortable, that we would not serve and we would not love. It means dying to our pride, our time, our own agenda. And personally, part of my struggle in preparation for today was realizing that in so many ways, I only have a sliver, like a really, 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 really small idea of what the sacrifice Jesus chose into in going to the cross. And truthfully, like a lot of the examples I thought of felt either unrelatable or even trite. Jesus is so confident. He's so confident in his purpose, so sure of who he is, sure of what he had said, um, he, sure of what he has done, sure of what he's said, saying he's going to do. That even in his moment of being troubled in his spirit, he's like, well, no, of course I wouldn't ask for this to, to be different. This is why I came. It seems so clear to me that Jesus knows what it looks like for him. He's resolute in his choice to go to the cross, to know that his death would bring life. So I look at my own life with Jesus, and I see all the places of hesitation that I have to die to myself and the desires that I want for my own life. You see, I forget that I actually have life because... Jesus chose death. He chose to let his purpose be fulfilled. And his choice would produce life in anyone who would come to him. And I think in seeing how sure Jesus was that his death would produce life um, can give us our own confidence in choosing to die to our desires, to hate our, hate our lives. We know that Jesus has already been there and we will see life produced and God will honor our service and our choice to serve. What must die for us to bear fruit? And as I was praying this last week, um, as I was looking at this passage and I was like, God, you know, what is this in my life? Where is the place that you want me to say yes to, that I have such a hard time saying yes to, but because you are moving in that direction, you have chosen death, I can choose death. And Jesus brought up my singleness. And I'm going to be honest, I, I'm not at the place where I'm saying, yay, God, I'm going to go to death. You know, like I will die to that desire of wanting kids. Really, for me, I want to have kids, but I kind of need to be married to do that. Well in the Christian world. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are other ways. But um, it is a real desire of mine. 
And even as I reflect on my college years and my choice to follow Jesus, my choice to become a leader in ministry, I was so wrapped up and excited about the ministry that God had invited me to that, you know, marriage and kids, I just, I didn't even think like I needed to focus on those kinds of things. Because either it would just happen, um, well, because I thought it would just happen, actually. And I've worked in ministry for 15 years now, full-time. And, you know, like, you hear a lot of things about ministry, people in leadership, women who are strong in their faith, and they're not always positive things. I've heard often that I can be intimidating or intense. Um, And actually, some of that's personality. I think some of that just comes because I have a title of leader. And... You know, I'm in my late 30s, I'm single, and I wrestle with the reality of my situation. I've wondered if I were not a ministry leader, or I would, if I would be as intimidating. Probably, because it's my personality. But <laughs> I wonder if the ministry leadership team or thing would, like, lessen that. It wouldn't be so hard, you know to find somebody who has similar values who would um, honor my leadership and encourage me in my leadership. I think also the Christian culture has made it like super hard to feel like there's actually life in singleness. Um, And it's made it hard to see that there's life in singleness for somebody who's in full-time ministry. I've had really hard experiences with churches uh, where being a woman and single, and being a woman of color, even, has created barriers. Barriers for me to fund the ministry that I am a part of, but also barriers to even being um, invited to lead out of my gifting. So this is actually the first time I've been asked to preach at a church in my years of ministry leadership. And I have ministry partners who are asked from day one they walk into a church. Most of the time, um, we can't walk into a church without hearing some sermon illustration about marriage or children, and that's not relatable to my life. There doesn't seem to be a place for singleness in the Christian world. But like I said, God brought this up in this sort of, what does this mean for me to move toward death um, so that life is produced? And I think as I reflected on that, God started to bring up ways that I even see the many seeds. I've worked in ministry for 15 years. I can tell you story after story after story of students who've come to follow Jesus, whose students' lives have been transformed because of Jesus, students who choose to love the poor and the marginalized, students who choose to leave the comfort of their home and go somewhere overseas, away from family, away from friends, so that this these many seeds, this life can be produced. And that's come out of a lot of the ministry that I've gotten to be a part of. And I'm seeing that life, I'm seeing that being produced. And even though I'm a ministry leader, that maybe is a little intimidating, but really love what I do. My prayers have become more and more like, God, you know my desire. And I still want to have kids. I still want to be married. I still want to have a partner in life. But help me to see the life that you're producing 
even if this never happens for me. Help me to know the life you're producing, God, as I choose to serve. And maybe someday that prayer will turn into the confident prayer of Jesus going to the cross someday. Right now it's like, God, help me get there. Help me be okay. And I share this story because I think for all of us, there are things that are really easy for us to die to and deny. There are things that we're like, okay, I can do without this, or I can give up my time to care for somebody um, in need. I can serve in certain spaces. But I think also for all of us, there are things that are really hard. There are some things in our life that are really hard to say, okay, God, okay, Jesus, I'm going to walk into death so that life can be produced, even though this is not what I want, even though it's really hard, even though it's really painful. But we know because of your death and resurrection that you produce life. And life will come from it. And we can ask Jesus to help us move to those places in those areas in our lives that we're afraid. Or we don't want to give up or deny. So again, what must die for us to bear fruit? Choosing death isn't an easy choice, but is a choice that leads to life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come to you knowing that your sacrifice has brought life to those who identify with you, to those who have chosen to follow you, to us sitting in this room. We need, um, we need to be reminded of that grace, of that truth, that we are here, we have life because you gave your life. Help us to know that as we have chosen to follow you or if we choose to follow you, that it means going where you go, going to those places that are hard, denying the things in our lives that we don't want to deny or give up. Jesus, would you come reveal those places that need to die? Reveal the places and the expectations that we've hold or held of what it means to follow you. And help us to walk confidently into those places of death so that life can be produced because we know you have been on that road and you know that far more than we do. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.